Well, welcome everybody at all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. So glad you made it to church. I know it takes an effort sometimes to get out to one of our campuses, so way to go. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online. It's always a pleasure to be able to welcome you as a part of our congregation. So uh, glad to have you with us as well. And uh, just a couple of quick updates for you before we get started in the message part. Um, last weekend, we opened our seventh campus over in Wyzetta. It was a fantastic day. I can see some footage there about that. Want to clap for that? Don't have to, but it's an awesome day. There were, there were 1,567 people who came to those first two services. It was just a fantastic weekend. But then campus-wide, there were 25,000 people who attended one of our services just last weekend. 25,000 people. And I mentioned that because, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. You're, you're the crowd that's awake. The 9 o'clock crowd wasn't quite there yet. But anyway, uh, you know, I mentioned that, uh, you know, campuses, because those of you who watch online, we're glad you do that, but if you live in the Twin Cities or around the area in any way, shape, or form, boy, we sure invite you to come on out to one of our campuses. It's an entirely different experience than watching on a screen than to be in the room with a bunch of other people who uh, are tracking the same way you are, so join us sometime if you can. We're on a series called uh, Start Here, because when it comes to matters of faith and God and church, where do you start? And we said last week, well, it's not very popular, but you got to start with sin, because before you, you know, have the solution, you got to talk about the problem a little bit. And the Bible says we all have this problem. We all have a sin issue. The Bible says it this way, that all of us have sinned, every single one of us, all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory or the standard that God expects or requires. Sin is the cause of every lie. It's the cause of every betrayal, of every abuse, injustice, or hatred in the world. It's inside of me. It's inside of you. In fact, author Addison Leach said it this way, if sin was blue, we'd be blue all over. Cut into our mind and there'd be blue thoughts. Cut into our soul, there's blue motives. Cut into our lives and you would see blue all over. Sin, as I thought about this, is kind of like a bucket of sand that gets poured into the transmission of a brand new car. You know, the car looks great on the outside, but inside there's this problem, there's this junk that tears up the gears and ruins the car. And what's scary is that some of us don't even know what it is that's causing the problems in our families, perhaps, or why people avoid us, maybe, or why our soul feels empty oftentimes. It's because there's sand in the gears. So that's where we have to start, because I think what's wrong with the world is sin. What's wrong with politics is sin. What's wrong with leaders who lie is sin. What's wrong with adults who prey on children is sin. What's wrong with the producers of The Bachelorette and Bachelor is everything. I mean, obviously it's sin, and what's wrong with me is when I do things that I shouldn't. Is sin. So that's where it starts, but the great news is that's not where it ends, because today I want to show you that God's grace is greater than any sin that you or I have ever committed. Grace is what frees us from guilt and shame, but sometimes grace is easier to describe in a story form than it is to define. And so when I was six years old, the family who lived directly across the street from us was the Fries, F-R-Y-S. And the, one day I was out to play, nobody was around, so I wandered over to the Fries' front yard, and I noticed how their newly planted birch trees had this cool bark uh, that was just waiting to be peeled off. And 
So there's no way, you know, there's no way a little boy can pass it up. So I parked myself under those trees for a good two hours. And I stripped every bit of the bark down to the core of those trees, which would certainly kill those trees. Well, that night, Art Fry, the, you know, the dad, the husband, took a wild guess and called my dad, wondering if I was the guilty party. Well, the next morning, my dad was waiting for me. At the breakfast table, I climbed up next to him and he said, uh, Bobby, did you have a good day yesterday? I said, I guess. He said, were you over at the fries at all? I said, not really. He said, you didn't peel the bark off of Art Fry's birch trees, did you? I thought, how did he know that? So I said, no. He said, are you sure? Because Art Fry called last night and I knew I was, I was dead in my sins. Not only had I destroyed Art Fry's trees, but I lied to my dad about it. And that was 55 years ago. 55 years ago, I still remember that very moment at our kitchen table as clearly as I'm standing in front of you right now. My dad was tough. And he didn't tolerate lying or anything like that. But what made me love and respect him more than anything in that moment is that he didn't yell at me, he didn't punish me. He knew that little boys peel bark off of trees and sometimes even lie about it. Gang, he didn't excuse my sin, but he knew I experienced enough shame already, he didn't need to pile on. He told Art Fry that he would replace those trees if they died, and the subject never came up again. And that was the first time I began to understand what grace was. I can tell you that when you've done something wrong and your dad or boss or whoever else gives you grace instead of punishment, you'll remember that for the rest of your life. By the way, just as an aside, Art was a research scientist at 3M. And so he used some 3M tape he was working on to wrap around those trees. And then, some of you know this, Art Fry went on to invent the world-famous Post-it Notes which is a billion-dollar-a-year industry, so I think Art Fry owes me, actually, a little bit. Because every time I ruined something in his yard, it forced him to get creative and figure out how to fix what I wrecked. The guy who invented Post-it notes really has me to thank for some of his success. But I need to pause here and just make a distinction between justice and grace, because the Bible says this, that God is just in all his ways. It, mean, it means God judges correctly every single time. God knows the difference between right and wrong. And he is a just God. It means he judges sin correctly. And when people lie, steal, murder, or peel bark off their neighbor's trees, justice requires a payment for that sin. That's just being just. And in the case of Art's trees, justice would be that I would pay for my sin. I ruined them. I pay for them. It's not being mean. It's not being unfair. It's simply paying for what I did wrong. Justice is, is getting precisely what I deserve. But grace is what my dad did. Grace says Bob is guilty and justice requires a payment, a restitution. Somebody needs to pay for the sin that was committed against Art's trees. And somebody did pay. 
My dad paid. He took the full penalty that was mine, paid it for him, paid it himself, and that was the beginning of my understanding of grace. Gang, grace is when you and I sin, and God says justice requires a payment, but here's the deal. I'm going to pay for it. God says, I'm going to pay for all the sins ever committed with the life and death of my own son. Jesus Christ will be the supreme payment for every sin ever committed. The Bible says it this way, that God laid on Jesus, God laid on Jesus the sins of every single one of us. God is not soft on sin. God hates sin because he knows what sin does to our lives and our families and our friendships, so much so that God sacrificed his own son so that we could be free, that our sin could be paid for, and we could be free to live in a new way of life. But in the time we have left today, I want to focus on two kinds of people that might be listening to this message today. The first kind of person is those who don't think they need God's grace. Second kind of person I want to address today is those who maybe think they're not worthy of God's grace. So the first group are people who say, you know, I don't need God's grace. I'm a good person. Don't need God. <laughs> I'm doing just fine. It's the view of former New York City mayor, uh, Michael Bloomberg, who's now 72 and facing his own mortality, recently said this. He pointed to his work on gun control, obesity, and smoking, and he said these words quite arrogantly, I think. I'm telling you, Michael Bloomberg said, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I'm heading straight in. I've earned my place in heaven. It's not even close. The only problem with that is Romans 3.10. None of us, none of us, even the best of us, none of us are righteous, not even one. In Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. We can try to minimize our sins, but the Bible says we've all, every one of us, have been, been declared guilty and sentenced to death. It means that we have an incurable sickness that's infected all of us. But if we're not aware of our sin or our problem or we try to minimize it, we can miss grace. We can miss the cure. We can miss God's goodness altogether. In his great book, Grace is Greater, Kyle Eidelman says it this way, as long as we think I'm not that bad, grace will never seem that good. I can tell you in my own life, gang, the more I understand, the more I get a clear understanding of my need for grace and my sin, the more I realize how desperately I need God's love. How desperately I need his forgiveness every single day. In fact, a few weeks ago, my wife and I were on vacation, and, I, and so I drove out to a golf course uh, to putt and hit a few balls. Now, most courses don't make you pay to use their putting green, which I love. So I, I putted a while, but then I, you know, I just, I couldn't stand it. I had to hit some balls. And you're supposed to pay for that, but I thought, you know, it's late. It's late in the day. No one's around. I'll just hit a few balls, no problem. And I'm a pastor. <laughs> and I'm a Christian. And I have followed Christ all my life. So I walked over the driving range, quickly grabbed my pitching wedge, put a good swing on the first ball. And I'm telling you, it felt so good. 
that I had to hit another and then another. And I hit one sin after another. In fact, I worked my way through my entire golf bag until I got to my driver. Folks, there is nothing like smashing a golf ball with your driver after four months of Minnesota winter. And it felt so good. But the whole time, I had this pit of guilt inside me, and I thought, how can something that feels so good be so bad? Have you ever asked yourself that question? How can something that feels so good be so wrong? So I did three things, and this is how I know whenever I'm sinning. The first thing I did is I, I rationalize. I do this all the time. It's not that bad. Nobody's around, it's late in the day, no big deal, I rationalize. I can tell you, when I'm rationalizing my sin and trying to convince myself that something is okay when it's not, I know I'm in sin. Second thing I try to do, I try to minimize you know, my, my indiscretions. I say, this is minor, people do far worse, no big deal. When I try to minimize or compare myself to the really big sinners, I'm just a little sinner. I got, you know, got to let me skate. I know I'm in trouble. Third thing I try to do is I try to outrun my conscience. <laughs> if I just stay busy and fill up every inch of my life with activity, then I don't have to think about what I'm doing wrong. I just try to stay busy. I try to outrun so I don't have to dwell on it. But I can tell you, this thing gnawed at me. In fact, the very next day on vacation, I got sick with the flu. Now, generally, I don't think God, you know, kind of punishes people with sickness or like that. I just don't think that's the way it works. But in this case, I started to think, I wonder if God is just sending a little flu my way. And I just kind of sensed him saying, really, Merritt, for 20 bucks, you're going to break the rules. I'm just going to give you a little flu on your vacation to let you think about it for five days. And that's what I did. For five days, I, thought, I didn't tell my wife because I didn't want to ruin the whole vacation because she would just, like a monkey on a cupcake, she'd get all over for doing that kind of thing. So, but I was so bothered by, by this. I mean, my wife, okay. My wife, my wife is a rule keeper, and that's great. Love that. I'm a little loosey-goosey. So she's just on me. I can't, I, so it's been a, you know, 37 years, we're okay, but anyway. Uh, but I was so bothered by this that it took a couple days later, I actually drove back to the golf course. I walked up to the desk, and I said to the guy, look, I was over here the other night on your driving range, but I didn't pay, and I want to pay. He said, what? He was just so confused. He just says, what? I said, look, I was over here. I hit a few balls, and I, I didn't pay. He said, oh, man. He said, don't worry about it. I said, no, I really need to pay. He said, look, the fact that you came back and offered to pay is so honorable. I'm like, I'm a pastor. <laughs> I didn't tell him that. I would never tell him that. He said, it's so honorable. This one's on us. And you know what that was? It's grace. And I felt free. The guilt was gone. The, 
This thing that was over me was gone. But gang, sin is like the flu. And I'm telling you, we all have it. We're all infected by it. One study found the average American practices deceit 200 times a day through body language, manipulation, little white lies, deceit. Average American, 200, 200 times a day. And that's just one dimension of sin. I'm not talking about lust or greed or anything else. Just one. Let's say that's overblown. Let's say the average American only practices, you know, deceit 10 times a day, which is probably conservative. But that would be 3,650 sins a year of deceit. That'd be 36,000 sins in 10 years. Let's say you live to be 72 years like Michael Bloomberg is now. That'd be 250,000 sins when you stand before God and say, man, look at my work on obesity. God's like, are you kidding me? 250,000 times we lied, deceived, stole, used language we shouldn't use. But gang, I'm telling you, if we pretend that it's not that bad and we, we convince ourselves we don't need God's grace, that our work on gun control and obesity will tip the scales our way before God, that's absolutely foolish. Bible says no one's righteous, not even one. So some people think they don't need God's grace. I want to address those now who think they're not worthy of God's grace. You know, some people think that what they've done or what's been done to them is so bad that there's no way God could ever restore them. Can I tell you, there is nothing you have done. There is nothing that was done to you that God's grace can't redeem. Grace is always greater than any sin. God's love and forgiveness is always greater, no matter what. In fact, I want to do a little art for you. If you were here last week, you know this is a little bit iffy, but this is a scaled down piece of art, so I practiced it, and I'm good to go. But let's just say Grace. Grace. Uh, anyway. That's a math sign, right? Grace is what? That's great. That's amazing. I had to ask about that. Grace is greater than... Fill in the blank. If you think about your life... What would you stick in that blank? That maybe you think there's no way God can forgive that. Gang, I'm telling you, grace is greater than anything that you might put in that blank. Might have been 20 years ago. Grace is greater. You can be forgiven and free. Maybe for you, your harsh language that hurt your son, grace is greater. Your betrayal that ended a friendship, grace is greater. Your theft that nobody knows about, your drunkenness that led you to your arrest, grace is greater. 
your sleeping around that ended your innocence, your affair that ended your marriage, your abortion that ended a life, your hidden sin that nobody knows about. Grace is greater. You can be forgiven. God knows. He loves you. Grace is greater than all of that. There's damaging consequences to every sin we commit, but God's grace is greater. How do we know this from what the Bible tells us? I was watching the funeral service for Billy Graham last week or two weeks ago. It was just fantastic. National television, they, they put it on national TV for two hours plus. And the verse that Billy Graham chose for his funeral was Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 8. I just want to read this. It's full of God's grace. Look at this verse. But because of his great love for us, doesn't matter who you are, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our sins. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that he might show the richness of his grace expressed in kindness to us through Jesus. For it is by grace that we are saved through faith. And this is not of ourselves, gang. This is a gift from God. He says that we were all dead in our sins. We had no life, no power, no hope. We were dead in our sins, absolutely dead. But God, he says, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. With Christ, grace is greater than any sin we've committed, and God can make us alive through Christ. But sometimes, it's not what we've done, but what's been done to us that makes us doubt God's grace. I received an email recently from a student, and she was so brave to write this. And with her permission, I want to read parts of it to you because she was bullied at school, and it caused her to doubt God's grace. And so she wrote to me, these words, he said, Dear Pastor Bob, I'm 18 in my senior year of high school and I've attended Eagle Brook for four years, but I'm struggling with anxiety and depression. In sixth grade, I started to get bullied at school almost every day. I'd get told to kill myself or just die already. And it happened so often, I started to count how many times I was told these things. The final number was 37 until I finally left that school in 10th grade. The amount of tears I cried each day was innumerable. The number of horrible names I got called was countless. Names you'd never wish to be called, not even if you deserved it. Every day after school, I'd come home and sit on my bedroom floor with tear-stained cheeks, wondering where God was. I couldn't imagine that a God of comfort and love would allow his daughter to feel that way and I ache to escape from these feelings that consume my whole being. How I saw freedom was through self-harm and engaging most of my thoughts towards suicide. I was so emotionally damaged that taking my own life seemed so much easier than feeling so heartbroken. Recently, my anxiety and depression have become worse. Even though I have a loving family, a job, and a warm place to lay my head at night, how is it that I feel so empty and that I don't feel God's grace. 
I have a strong desire for Jesus. I really do, and my heart truly cries out to him, but I'm stuck. How can I move forward, and what can I do to find the pieces that are missing from my life? It's not what she did. It's what was done to her. And as I read her words, my heart just broke, and so I responded. I don't respond to every email. I just can't do it, but I said, I am so sorry for the hateful words that your ears had to hear, words that aren't true, words that need to be erased from your memory. I will pray for you that God will do that and even allow these bad experiences to bring about good in your life, maybe in the form of compassion to others who are equally abused. You have endured more than anyone should have to endure, but know this. Our God is a loving, trustworthy God who loves you. He has the power to heal and strengthen you. I told her, I also struggle with anxiety and low self-worth at times. But I do four things. I pray every day. I read God's word. I stay close to people who love me. And I ask for God's grace to lead me and heal me every day. And when I do those things, I get stronger. On earth, we'll never be completely free from all that entangles us, but we can be freer. I look forward to meeting you soon. Blessings, Bob. She wrote back and said that her heart was so affected by these few words of grace that a new door she felt was opening to her. But when you're on the receiving end of such abuse, it's easy to miss God's grace. And then what happens so often is we again start to believing things that aren't true about us. And it turns into shame. In fact, there's a researcher called Brene Brown, and she's an expert on shame. And here's what she says about how shame shows up in our lives. She says, shame is my boss calling me an idiot in front of a client. Shame is hiding the fact that I'm in recovery. Shame is having someone ask me, when are you due, when I'm not due. Shame is my husband leaving me for another woman. Shame is my DUI. Shame is internet porn. Shame is hearing my dad curse at me and say, you'll never amount to anything. Shame is watching your parents divorce and wondering if you're the cause. And we have all felt it. See, guilt says, I made a mistake. But shame says, I am a mistake. Guilt says, I did a bad thing. But shame says, I'm a bad person. But I hope you hear this. Not a single one of you is a mistake. We all make mistakes. But nobody is a mistake. The Bible says that God created you as his masterpiece. God created you perfectly in his image, just the way he wants you to be. There are no mistakes with God. But I wonder today if anybody can relate to one of these two groups, those who think they don't need God's grace or, or those who think they're not worthy of God's grace. And maybe there's a third group today. Maybe there are those of us who think, you know, I've received God's grace a long time ago. I asked forgiveness. Jesus is in my life but I'm struggling to experience God's grace and live freely in God's grace every single day. So I want to close with two challenges. And the first challenge is this, just receive God's grace. Maybe for some of you for the first time today, 
Maybe for others of you for the thousandth time. But receive God's grace. Ephesians 2.8 says that God's grace is a gift to be received. When someone offers you a gift, you simply receive it and you say thanks. And maybe some of you have never done that. Gang, God says, look, I love you. I offer my forgiveness to you, but to experience God's grace, you actually have to, to receive it. How do you do that? You simply turn to God in prayer and say, God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to pay for my sins. Today, I receive this free gift. I open my heart to you and receive your love and receive your forgiveness for the first time. And I just wonder if anyone here needs to receive God's grace today. It's the best decision you'll ever make through a simple prayer. The second challenge is this then, to live in God's grace. Live every day in God's grace. Maybe you made the decision to receive God's grace a long time ago, but because of past failures or ongoing conflicts or something that was done to us, maybe you don't feel God's grace or live in it every day. By the way, I struggle with this. But here's the truth about every single person here. If you have received God's grace by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you are forgiven of every sin that you've ever committed. You are covered by the precious blood of Jesus Christ forever. Of course you still make mistakes. Of course you still sin. So do I. So does my wife and my kids. And my grandkids are complete sinners. I'm telling you, they can just see it. But when we mess up, here's the deal. When we mess up, if you've received God's grace, when you mess up, when I mess up, we have to get better at saying, so what? So I messed up, but I'm not gonna wallow in shame for the next three days. I'm gonna apologize for what I did, receive God's grace again, try to do better, and then I'm just gonna move on. We have to get better at forgiving ourselves because God has forgiven us. It does us no good to keep punishing and reliving the sins of our past. I thought about how to word this, and I think it captures it right here. It's not minimizing the severity of sin. Sin always hurts. Sin always destroys. It's not minimizing the severity of sin. It's simply maximizing the supremacy and greatness of God's grace. It's the best thing in the world to receive God's grace and to then live knowing you're loved by the God who made you, to have this relationship with the God who knows everything about you, where you begin praying and, and Sensing him speaking back to you through his word and his spirit connecting with your spirit. There's no other way to live. And some of you, that's what's missing. If you've wondered why sometimes you feel alone, even when people are around you, will you wonder sometimes why you feel empty? Maybe your life is filled with activity and filled with stuff, but there's an emptiness. And when you're quiet, you wonder about that. Gang, I'm telling you, 
It begins with trusting God. So if you're feeling guilty, if you're feeling shame, have you received God's grace? And then will you live in it by beginning to pray each day? Read God's word, his love letter to all of us. Get around other godly people who can help you and encourage you. And then just ask God to bless you and heal you, guide you every single day. I want to end in prayer for all campuses. Just stay seated real quick. We'll be done here in a second. But I want to pray for all of us. And we all need God's grace. I do, you do. So let's just bow and pray. We'll be done real quick here. But God, thank you so much for your grace. It's hard for us as humans to receive it and to live in it. We get dinged up. We have stuff inside us that just, it detracts from what you want to do in our lives. So God, I pray for those of us who've received your grace that you will help us live in it. We are forgiven. God, help us to forgive ourselves. Not minimizing sin, but maximizing your grace. For those of you who are here today or listening online or watching online, maybe this is the day you want to receive God's grace for the first time. And I want to lead you in a prayer just real quickly. You don't have to pray it out loud. Just, just pray it in your spirit. Open your heart to God. And just in your spirit, pray these words. Breathe these words. God, thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving me life. I didn't give me life. But in your wisdom and sovereignty, you chose to give me life. And so, Lord, I thank you for that. But right now, right here, I am opening my heart to you. I don't understand all that that means. But Jesus, I've heard today that you paid for my sins, that you want a relationship with me. And so right now, Lord Jesus, I am asking you to forgive me of all my sins. I want to receive your grace receive your forgiveness. And in this moment, I am becoming saved. I am becoming a new person in Christ. Lord, take me from here. Lead me. Help me grow. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. It's been great to be with you today, gang. Have a great day. God bless all of you. Yep.